Great. Welcome, everybody. Um, do take a Bible if you've got them in the pew backs or the, under the chair. Um, we're going to um, be looking at um, some themes out of 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, which was on my heart, and it fits in really well with what I think you've been looking at as a church. You know, we've heard reference to the cornerstone, which is out of 1 Peter chapter 2, and I think in your Bibles it's page 1217. I just want to offer some thoughts tonight that come out of that first chapter that precedes and sets us up for what Peter's going to say in the passage you looked at um, last week. Um, is it too far into the year to be welcoming you and giving you a happy new year? No, I think so, no. Um, I, I'm the sort of person uh, who, you know, every time we came into a new year, I'd still be writing the wrong date on the checks every, you know, about four or five months in. For the young people, a check is basically, it's a piece of paper. It's like a promissory note. It's like money, but you have to kind of pay it in. So, um, I would still be in, I'd be in March or April or even May. I actually wrote the wrong, the wrong date in October once, which is really sad. Um, and then I realized that as much as that's difficult, we've just come into a new decade as well, haven't we? And I was still getting used to being in the 10s and the teens, and now we're in the 2020s, which is terrifying. And as we do that, there's all these sort of retrospective things that have been knocking around over Christmas and the new year. Um, just really offering some perspective on what's happened in the, in the last decade. So I don't know what's happened to you in the last decade, but in the wider world, an awful lot's happened, doesn't it? Um, we've discovered, actually, in the last decade, when we entered 2010, this probably says more about me and my values and hobbies, in 2010, there was no such thing as an iPad. I, I cannot live without my iPad. It's like my most prized possession. I think I'm on about my fourth iPad. But 2010, just 10 years ago, they'd never heard of an iPad. Um, there were also there were no, no such thing as a meme. There was no such thing as streaming. Um, we knew nothing about dabbing, flossing, or twerking, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> um, we'd never seen a fidget spinner, and that kind of came and went really quickly. Um, nobody'd heard of Pokemon Go. Um, and we hadn't faced any internet challenges. Now, internet challenges are usually things that kind of get a bit viral and everybody wants to do them. So, um, does anybody remember planking? Yeah, 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 it's gone out, you're just, it's really silly, I don't even want to describe it. But it's, it's like you lie like a plank and people take photos of you. So we've got a photographer here tonight, so if you'd like to. <laughs> I, I'm gonna suspect that you're bored if you're planking during the sermon, so. Ice bucket challenge, do you remember that one? Yeah, 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 it wasn't that long ago. And just kind of recently, because of the turn of the decade, the Facebook Decade Challenge. Now, I've noticed that most of the people who are doing this Facebook Decade Challenge are smug, younger people who are kind of like the decade's been quite kind to them. You know, it's like, oh, here's me in 2010, you know, um, and I, I was single, and here's me now, I'm married, I've three children, and I've got this amazing job, you know. Um, once you get to my age, the decade challenge becomes slightly less attractive. And it's kind of like, here's me and here's me now. You know, less hair, more weight, and you kind of move on. So I was delighted when I, I found this picture on the internet. This is the decade challenge for... <laughs> <coughs> That's, I should, should say 2020 there. We haven't gone backwards in time. But that is a more realistic decade challenge, isn't it? Um, I was having coffee with a friend the other day who'd um, been away from our church for 15 years and she came back and, and she just said that beautiful thing like, she said, you know, you haven't changed, you look exactly the same. And then she completely spoiled it by saying, of course, I haven't got my glasses and I am squinting. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. 
But what would our, what would our decade challenge look like as a church? Now, I, I think maybe you, you, you might have quite a lot of encouragement here at Holy Trinity. You know, that maybe it's been a good season. You know, you've still got a great number of people in worship and there's a sense of the presence of God and you've got a fantastic site that's buzzing with activity and you've got leadership that's got vision for going out and, you know, it's good sometimes to step back, isn't it? We need encouragement. I've had um, an encouraging week. I've, you know, a couple of times this week I've been reminded of things that happened in the last year. Um, I was off... Um, on a ministry trip with Becky to India early in the year and uh, somebody sent me a photo of somebody we prayed for back in March and earlier this week they sent me a photo and there's him standing at the front of church and when we prayed for him he had calipers on his legs and you know so God had touched him and healed him. Um, On Tuesday and Wednesday this week I popped over to Denmark because we got a a new wine connection to a movement there and uh, people were coming and talking about a conference that we shared in in July and, and talking about some of the, the fruit of that. And it's fantastic to be reminded what God has done. Because it doesn't happen every week, does it? You know, and, and often, if we kind of say, you know, what has God done? We focus on, well, I don't know. Because we're just thinking about what has God done lately. But actually, all of us, if we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, we've got a testimony. We can go back over our lives and we can look... And we're meant to do that. The Bible encourages us to to remember and record the things that God has done. So sometimes take a step back and have that 10-year perspective perhaps and say, you know, what did God do? Do you remember the testimonies that have been given here in this church in the last 10 years? Or the people who weren't here in the church 10 years ago because they hadn't come to faith? You know, do you remember the, the things that you were praying about 10 years ago and you, now you take them for granted because God brought you through that moment and God gave you that thing that you longed for. And Of course, it's not all easy, is it? You know, the other things we've lost and been frustrated about and disappointed over, but God's faithfulness to us over that time is really important to recognize. And it's really important because not every church enjoys what you're enjoying here. You know, we know that if we look into the, the wider world, we know that the trajectory of the church's attendance continues to be sort of downward. We know that a lot of people are kind of projecting that oh, the church will have its day and the secular press will, will say that basically the Church of England won't exist in however many years' time and they draw the graph out. And of course they forget that, that with the history of the church, it's always been like the tide, in and out, in and out, in and out. There have been times when the state of the church in this nation is far, far worse than it is now. And revival has come. And I was just praying over the turn of the new year, and I was, I was reminded that the last time we had a decade called the 20s, it, was, it became known as the Roaring 20s. And I just felt God say that I am not going to stand by while my church declines to, exist, to non-existence. This is going to be the decade where the lion is going to roar. So when we were just singing in that last song... You know, the roaring lion. God is going to stand up and defend his honor. He is going to show once again that the gospel has not lost its power. And he's still at work through his church. And I think it's really important because a lot of Christians are losing their confidence. And so the passage we're going to look at tonight is about confidence in God and his good news. And um, it begins, actually, by pointing us to, to the fact that it wasn't easy. So Peter starts by saying, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of modern-day Turkey. 
So this is what God's people were like then. They were exiles. In other words, they felt themselves to be on the margin. They weren't where they should be. And they were scattered, which probably means that they weren't very numerous. And often people in the church today feel like that. A lot of Christians feel that we're exiles. You know, we're living in a culture that isn't a Christian culture anymore, by and large. We move amongst people who have very different values from the ones that we hold dear. And so we feel ourselves to be a little out of joint. And also, we don't feel very strong. We feel like we're scattered, small pockets of believers in different places that have to gather together. And yet, Peter describes them like this. You are God's elect. You're, you're, you know, you're like the special forces, God's elect. And then he describes them like this. He says, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. So we're exiles, marginal, we're scattered, weak, but at the same time, we are elect, we are chosen, we are sanctified, and we are forgiven. And that's something that should give us great hope and great confidence as we go into this decade. Now, the, the Bible has this, this tendency to quite often um, describe the work of God in three ways, and um, they're, they're like the three tenses, past, present, and future. So the classic is over salvation. So how many people believe that if you're a Christian, you've been saved by Jesus? Yep, great, four or five of you, that's lovely. Um, <laughs> got some work here to do, Patrick. Um, no, well done. Uh, so we have been saved by Jesus. We have been freed from the penalty of our sins, completely. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible also says that we are being saved by Jesus because we are being delivered from the power of sin. In other words, it has no more dominion over me, but it still has kind of some, because I keep forgetting that I'm a new person and I keep falling back and living in the flesh. And the Bible also says that we will be saved when Jesus comes again. In other words, we are completely saved from the penalty of sin now, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin that when Jesus comes again, there will be no sin in us because we will be holy, righteous, and blameless. and We will see him as he is because we will be like he is. It's really exciting. But those three tenses of salvation, there's something of that in this passage as well because to give confidence to this scattered, marginal people, Peter points out what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And that's the basis for confidence. So to give us some perspective and some motivation as we step into this new decade, this is what God has done. From verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who God's faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed. Christianity is not about turning over a new leaf or getting a fresh start. I know we often use language like that. Christianity is actually about something objective that God has done. It's not like your determination to make a New Year's resolution to go to the gym every week. It's like God has completely altered 
our standing before him. And all we do is we connect into that through faith and make it our own. He has given us a new birth. In other words, if you have invited Jesus to live into your life, if you ask his spirit to come and fill you, then you are somebody who has been born again. You, you cannot bring that about by your own effort. You can't just decide, oh, I think I'd like to be born again. It's the work of God. It means that you're alive in a way that you were never alive before. It means that he has come and taken residence in your life and he will never leave you. It means that you um, are experiencing what Jesus said is not just life, but life in all of its fullness. And until and unless you receive God's work in your life, you haven't got that. But God has given that to you. If you've bowed the knee to Jesus, that has happened. And Not only that, but this new birth means that there is an inheritance for you, something up ahead. And the great thing about this, new, this um, inheritance is it's your living hope. It's not wishful thinking, but it's a hope that's real and it's alive. And it's not precarious or under threat. There's nothing that will happen. It doesn't matter what, which way the economy goes, and it doesn't matter whether the world's at war or at peace, and it doesn't matter what might happen in the changes and chances of every day. It says that this is kept in heaven for you without decay. Your inheritance, in other words, what you're going to be rewarded with, it's kept in heaven for you. And even better than that, you're kept for it as well because you're shielded by God's power until you can get hold of it. And so we're in this life with something amazing ahead of us, which cannot be taken away, and we're going to get there because he's with us on the way until we get there. That's why we rejoice, and that's why we're confident. And that's the starting point for anybody whose faith is ever under assault. If you ever have a difficult time in your life, which may cause you to question your faith or, or perhaps just to subtly pull back from your faith or to lose some of the joy of your faith. And that could be through your personal battles. It could be through your family circumstances. It could be the lies that come into your head that are breeding doubts. And you know, we're surrounded by other worldviews that are saying things that aren't always true. It could be the wider trends in society putting you in a marginal place at work or in the school. Whatever it is you fight, None of those things can stand up against those truths. That God has given you a new birth into a living hope and there is an inheritance that's kept for you and you're kept for it. And that's the reality of what God has done for you. And that's what we stand on. Now, I, I'm, I'm encouraged often as I look at social media that people are becoming a lot more open about the battles they face. You know, I think it's really good that we are destigmatizing. All sorts of things, including things like mental health struggles. You know, we know that somewhere between a third of us and half of us will experience mental health battles. Depression, anxiety, stress, you know, all sorts of different types of battles. And I love it when people go, they go public and they talk about, you know, it isn't easy. And then often people will pile on the thread and they will cheer each other on. And, you know, and, and they will often make really great statements that I love because they're lined up with the truth. And people will say, I am worthy. You know, I am worthwhile. You know, I am loved. And I love that. But what I really would love is that people would learn to say it on the basis of something that is objective, that can never be taken away. Not just, I declare myself to be loved, but I know that I'm loved because God loved me so much that he gave his only son to die for me. 
I know that I am worthwhile because the price paid for me to be with God forever was the sinless son. You know, to actually be able to, to relate these declarations that are going to help people thrive in life, to be able to relate them back to the things that are revealed to us by God that will stand forever. That is, I think, the really powerful thing. And um, don't think, as often people do, don't think that faith means believing in something despite all the evidence to the contrary. A lot of people kind of, kind of sort of think that, you know, like, oh, life is terrible, you know, everything's broken, but I've got faith. You know, it's like nothing is going right, but I've got faith. That's not faith because it denies the reality of what God's doing now. Faith is actually looking at your life and going, you know, it's a bit of a mixed picture, to be honest. There's, there's a whole bag of rubbish, but actually in the middle of it, I can see some good things. I can see some blessing. I know that God's with me. I pray and I believe I'm being heard and I can see God's hand at work. And in the middle of the mess, faith is good things, bad things, but I recognize that God is there and I believe that ultimately that is what's going to win out. That's faith. So that moves us on from what God has done to what God is doing. And that's in the next few verses that we've got. It's verse 6 and 7. He says, in this hope you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So in other words, he's being very honest. This church is being persecuted. It's a hard time. But actually, in the hope of God, they're, they're greatly rejoicing. One of the most miraculous marks of true faith, and I really think this is an evidence of faith, is joy in the middle of adversity. You know, if you've been around the block a few times, you'll have seen this. You'll have seen Christians who there's a, maybe a diagnosis over their life or a difficulty that comes into their life. And you go to them and you want to minister to them because you know, they're in such a difficult place. And then you come away so blessed. It's like, because they're so close to God. One of my friends is a, is a young widow. Um, I don't think you ever lose somebody you love at a good time, but she lost someone she loved her husband far too early in life. And then, but she talks about how, how close God has been, how much she's grown, how, how she, she misses him every day, but how she has been driven into an experience of God that she'd never, she'd never suspected was there. And that, that's what Peter's saying. Their experience might be grief and trials, but it's working in their lives like refinement. It's, it's kind of burning up the things that are dross and it's revealing the things that are golden and precious. And sometimes that's what we get. Harder issues drive us deeper into God and they help us to connect. And the negative experiences can even be things that God will turn for good to shape us all the more. And the way that you know that God's with you in those hard times is you have this experience of joy. So in verse 8, Peter says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, this, this experience of joy. We were singing it earlier. I think one of the best songs written last year was that song that we were singing, I'm going to raise an alleluia. I raise an hallelujah 
in the presence of my enemies. I raise an alleluia in the middle of the mystery. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. That's an incredibly Christian thought. That there may be all sorts of difficult stuff going on, but I know something that causes me to praise God, and I'm going to praise God even in the middle of the difficulty. That is such a mark of Christian faith. It's almost like, for me, a defining mark as to whether or not you know, somebody really has opened their heart and their life to Jesus. And if you're the sort of person who, you've been around the church quite a bit, but you don't recognize that, then I'd love to encourage you that there is a lot, lot more. You know, we are meant to experience God. We are meant to know his presence with us. The Bible talks again and again and again about love. Not just the, the head knowledge that we're loved by God, but the, the felt experience of being loved by your creator. It talks about joy that is independent of your circumstances. This, this thing that rises up within you that causes you to want to praise and to worship. There's so much more. And it's what God wants us to be able to enjoy. Peter goes on to say, if you look at the next couple of verses, that this, this is what the prophets were looking ahead to. In other words, the whole of the Old Testament, everybody in the Old Testament was looking forward to this and we get to have it. Jesus said the greatest, you know, the Old Testament history goes all the way up to John the Baptist, but the least of us is greater than him in what we get to experience. Because we stand in the promise fulfilled, not just given. He says that even angels long to look into it. You know, the, the angels are kind of constantly looking going, I don't understand how the Father loves it that lot, that much. But he does. The angels are longing to look into this and we get to be the people who are the recipients. So we've, we've had what God has done that we look back to and we take our stand on. We've got what God is doing that we're fed by. And then Peter goes on and he starts talking about what God will do. And I'll just touch on these verses for time's sake. But from verse 13, if you read all the way through to the passage you read uh, last week, um, the beginning of chapter 2, you've got four big paragraphs there. And I was struck over Christmas by, by... by the, the moral implications of Christmas. Um, because often when the Bible talks about Christmas, not, not when it tells the Christmas story, but when it refers back to Jesus' coming, it nearly always ties it into ethical behavior. Things like the grace of God has appeared, it teaches us to say no to wrong things and to live holy and upright lives. Now when God has come, Jesus doesn't just show us who God is, but he shows us what we should be like as well. He's the 200% person. He's 100% God, 100% man. So he shows us what a life looks like when it doesn't fall short of the glory of God. And so we've got that here as well. So um, you'll see the paragraphs. Each of them begins with one of those kind of conclusion words. You know, therefore, that's the first paragraph. The next one says, since. And then the third paragraph says, now. And then he, he goes over the page into chapter two. He goes, therefore, again. So... Therefore, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you. In other words, he says, now that you know better, turn away. You you know what's good now because God's shown it to you. Since you call on a father who judges, live out your lives as foreigners here in reverent fear. In other words, you don't fit in. You can feel that. You can feel you don't fit into this passing age. So don't try to. 
Because you know that God's bringing judgment on this age, so don't fit into it. Be happy to stand out. Live your lives here as foreigners, a little bit on the edge, perhaps. Then he says, now you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so you have a sincere love for each other. Another great mark of becoming a Christian, growing in God, is that you love those weird people sitting in the row in front of you. Even Patrick. No, it's a great mark. There's a love for other people that you might not have that much in common with in this world. Might have a very different background to you or a very different personality to you. And there's something about love within the church that's the Christian relationship. Sometimes it's Christian blood is even thicker than water, I think. But he says, now that you're doing that, what should you do? Well, love each other deeply. In other words, excel in it. Press on in it. What you're starting to experience, seek to do more. And then at the start of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. In other words, you know what's good. You've tasted and you've seen what God has done. You know what's good. You know what feeds you, what builds you up. There's an inbuilt thing in you now that you're born again in your new nature that desires good stuff. So just have a think about your diet. You know, not the normal thing we do at the start of the year. But just think, what is it that I'm allowing to come into my life? You know, do I need to put a filter up because some of the stuff that I'm exposing myself to or um, being told that's not lining up with God's truth and so I'm going to reject that. But maybe I also need to proactively put some good stuff into my life. You know what pure spiritual milk looks like? It's, it's like reading the Bible. It's... it's the presence of God in prayer, it's, it's time in his presence in worship. You know, all of those things, that's pure spiritual milk. So he says, feed yourself. Feed yourself. Because you've tasted and you've seen that God is good. And so I think the prescription for a confident church as we go into this new decade, well, I think what, what Peter was saying to his day is what he's saying to our day as well. And if we were to do like a, a spiritual decade challenge, you know, what would you like your spiritual decade challenge to look like in 2020? You know, would, because to be honest, there's going to be a lot of change in the, the 10 years ahead. Um, some of us, there'll be some physical changes that we might lament in the 10 years ahead. But actually, what really matters is where we're at with the Lord, strength of our walk with him, uh, our grasp on the things that he's done for us. And wouldn't it be great if in 10 years we could go, the last 10 years I know that I've grown closer to God. I know I've allowed his spirit to shape my life. I know that I'm more confident in his promises than I've ever been. I know that I find it easier to share his love with others because it's so wonderful for me that I can't contain it and his love compels me. I've got a testimony. I can talk about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. I've tasted and I've seen I think that's what God's calling us to. And what I'd love to do tonight is uh, we're going to have a bit of time of ministry now. And uh, I think that maybe the band would like to come back. What I'd like to do, perhaps if we could all stand. And this is a little time that I know you set aside for, uh, for prayer, which is, is response. Sometimes the right thing for us to do is to respond just by worshipping God as we reflect on um, what we've been thinking about. Other times it's really helpful to, to say, yeah, what we've described, I want more of that. I want to receive that. And so we pray 
with and for each other. And so um, I'm just going to offer a little bit of time and then I'll encourage people perhaps who'd particularly like to receive prayer to come out. I know we've got some ministry team here as well to pray with you, but let's be still. Lord, we thank you that you're here with us right now. Holy Spirit, draw close. Take these truths from our ears into our minds and to hearts. Help us to experience the reality that they describe. I pray that love and peace would be ever more real to us. Perhaps in the silence you might just want to make a little spiritual audit with the Lord. Where am I with him now, today? Where would I desire to be in, in 10 years' time? And what might he be saying to me so that that truly comes to pass? Now remember that God is more willing to give to us than we can ever imagine. The Bible says he, as we pray, he does more than we can ask or imagine. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So all these good things, God doesn't put them on the high shelf so we can't reach them, but he puts them on the low shelf so that even the smallest and weakest of us can get to them. And I felt what would be good tonight is, is to pray for people who'd like to experience of the, uh, like to grow in that experience of the love and joy of God. And Peter said, in this you greatly rejoice. Though you don't see him, you love him. You're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And that often, you might need to know it because you're in a hard time. You might need to know it because you knew it more in the past than you do today. Or you might just desire to know more of it today. So we can respond and pray with each other. If that's you, any of those categories, would you like to come out now? Ministry team, if you'd like to come as well. And just gather right across the front. It's just a way of responding. The rest of us, we're going to worship and there'll be opportunities to come up and uh, to pray. So just as the worship continues, you want to come and join them. If you'd like to receive prayer, perhaps the best thing to do is just face the band so we know you're wanting to receive prayer. Now just my encouragement to you would be that when we talk about God coming and doing these things, that actually this is a real thing. It's not just something we believe in our heads, but it's something we can experience in our lives as well. So I, I usually encourage people, close your eyes so you can focus on God. Open your hands as a gesture of surrender, a posture of humility. You don't need to work anything up. 
You just need to trust God in faith and receive what he might want to give. And all the ministry team are going to do is they're going to add their faith to yours. The ministry team just pray that the Father would fill them with a fresh sense of his love. Pray that the joy of walking with Jesus would bubble up and bubble out from their lives. More of you, Lord, in our lives, we pray. Just as we worship, do come and receive prayer.